Hey everyone, some quick announcements. First of all, tomorrow, February 6th, 2022, we are speaking at FOSDEM in the Declarative and Minimalistic Computing Room. If you can make it, awesome. If not, videos will be uploaded later. So, we're giving two talks this year. First of all, Sprightly Goblins Comes to Guile, which I, Christine, am giving solo. And Lisp But Beautiful, Lisp for Everyone, which we are giving together. And actually, that talk is kind of topical to this episode, right? Yes, since a lot of the talk is about the experiences of people learning Lisp and usually being told to go learn Emacs. And how Emacs is an amazing environment for developing Lisp. But also how it can make getting started a bit challenging. And relatedly, there's something I really wanted to recommend to people who are learning Emacs, but we forgot to put in this episode. If you're doing the usual Emacs approach of using lots of keyboard shortcuts, I highly recommend rebinding caps lock to an additional control. See the show notes for details. Save your wrists. And this is why I complained about Christine stealing my caps lock. Yes, yes. Also, we should thank our donors, right? Yes. For our Tier 1 supporters. Thank you to Dan Finley, Golda Velez, Jamie, Matt Arnold, Rob Fuller, and Schlee. And for our Tier 3 Ultra supporters... Thank you to Liren Cohen and Mark Weilard. Okay, that's enough pre-episode stuff. On with the show! Hello! Welcome to Foss and Crafts. A podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together. With my co-host, Morgan. And my co-host, Christine. Well, what are we talking about today? We are finally cycling back to an episode that we previewed. Like at the very start of the show. Maybe not the very start, but it was a while ago. So we mentioned a long time ago that we were probably going to do a series of episodes where... Each of us tackle something that we had previously been afraid of. And so this is going to be the first one. And it is me finally learning Emacs, which means that coming up shortly, we will have an episode about Christine. And what are you tackling? I'll be finally learning to overcome my fear of the sewing machine because last time I broke one. You didn't actually break one. One broke while you were using it. And I felt like I broke it. But that's yeah. a story for the next episode. Let's talk about Emacs and you and using Emacs. Or actually, wait, do we need to describe what Emacs is? Yeah. So, Christine, can you, in brief, describe what Emacs is? Sure. I can try to be pretty brief about this. I might not do a good job. Let's try it. Let's see. So, Emacs is, first of all, an editor. That's what people know. It's actually from a family of editors that are various different kinds of Emacs and GNU Emacs is the one that you and I use. So in a certain sense, Emacs is kind of the closest thing that we have to a list machine on contemporary computers, which used to be this specific kind of operating system. But really what it means is that Emacs is incredibly extensible, like really, really, really extensible. And for me, I think that learning Emacs was a single best career decision I made because I basically kind of ended up like developing my career out of things that ended up flowing from that decision to learn Emacs in many ways. So, yeah. And from my point of view, up until more recently, Emacs was this really, really powerful, magical program that Christine's entire life was run off of. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great. You can do pretty much anything with it. Like, it's extensible in the Emacs Lisp, which is maybe not the best Lisp. But, I mean, you can do pretty much anything. So, I mean, I use it to program, obviously. I also use it to chat on IRC and read my email. And also, you know, matrix clients and How accounting. How about we... Um, so, my point is that Emacs was overwhelming because of how much you did on it right and i was overloaded at the front end and got intimidated so now i'm demonstrating that yeah so let's not overload on the front end what all emacs can do we can get to that later okay just know that it can do a lot and it's really powerful and cool and fun yeah so i was pretty terrified of emacs for a long time And part of it is because I knew Christine did basically everything on Emacs, and that seemed very overwhelming to me. So when I was starting to learn Python, I actually learned it using gedit, which is pretty much the most basic editor you can get on a GNU Linux platform. I mean, it's a nice basic editor, right? You know, it comes with GNOME. It's pretty, like, it does what it needs to do. But yeah, it's pretty limited. Like mm-hmm. you can you can only kind of do a very small number of things in Gedit. But that that's not to put it down. But that's the program that I chose to use when learning Python because it felt like something that I could handle. Right. It and was I, a, it was a beginner's tool. And I strongly encouraged you to learn Emacs at the time, but you said to me that Christine, I've agreed to learn Python. I don't I have not agreed to learn Python and Emacs at the same time. Yeah. Because that seemed like way too much for me. And to solidify that point, as I was learning Python, basically I just was going through the Python tutorial and occasionally Christine would give me guidance and occasionally I would have some questions that Christine would help me answer. And on one of these occasions, I had been stuck on this problem, so I went into Christine's office and asked her to help. And basically Christine... Opened up Emacs, which again is not the editor that I was using. Well, I was just said, okay, you know what? I can help you through this. And so I sat at my computer. I spun around to look at my computer and I'm like, okay, so, you know, I split this window and like opened up the file and like moved it for like said, okay, so jump to the function that you're having the problem with. And I said, okay, so like basically we can see what's exactly what's happening here. So I split it again, opened a terminal inside of Emacs. Jumped to the Python shell, copied and pasted some code in, put some debugging code in there, you know, like switched around between a few buffers and like was like, so all this is, it's really simple. You just put the, if you put the debugger right here and you like step through this thing, you'll see that it's obviously this problem. And it's pretty easy because, you know, this was actually just like a one or two line change, right? So it's it's simple. And Christine turned around and the gist of what I understood from that very fast rambly summary that christine just gave was it's easy right it's simple yeah so and to me i didn't understand any of the rest of that because christine had two monitors and she had multiple emacs buffers open and i didn't even know what an emacs buffer was and i didn't know which monitor i was looking at and i couldn't even tell where christine was typing or where it was outputting it was pretty dramatic from my circumstance of saying so it's just easy right and i was spinning around to be like yeah and then like i turn and i look at you and you were like cheering up and like on the verge of like breaking down crying and i'm like "Uh oh i made a mistake so that was the point when we realized that people have some different learning curves 
And that was the point when Christine started demonstrating things in the program I was using to learn. Right, we used Gedit. Yeah. So initially when I didn't want to learn Emacs, it was just because I thought it was overwhelming. But that experience felt pretty traumatic to me because I already was having problems with Python. And then Christine made it seem like it was such a simple solution for the thing that I didn't understand in the first place. And I didn't even know enough to know which terminal on her screen to look at. Mm -hmm. So basically, at some point, you came into my office when I was working on a document sometime later, like a couple years later, actually. It was years later, yeah. Uh, It was a completely different apartment. A completely different apartment. And I'm sitting at my computer and, and I'm working on something and I was asking for your feedback. And like, I was working on a document in org mode, which is a document authoring and other things thing we will talk about later in Emacs. And I hit a couple of buttons, which exported my document. And suddenly you saw it jump open my browser. And And I pretty much asked what wizardry this was. You were like, wait, how did you just do that? Like you, you were working on it in there and now it's suddenly open your browser. And I'm like, oh, it's really easy. Like Emacs can export to like, like org mode can export to all sorts of things. And I like exported it to PDF and then to ODT. And then your response was... Damn it, Christine, don't make me want to learn Emacs. And Morgan stormed angrily out of my office. Because at this time, and Christine and I can't remember if this part of the story happened before that one or after. It's muddied in our memories. But at this point, I was working on writing some fan fiction. And I had said, either prior to or shortly after this conversation, that I would like to maybe write a piece of code to just auto-replace the very common errors I made with, like, spelling and stuff like that, and then also make some changes based off of what was required for the different sites that I was uploading it to. And Christine had also mentioned, like, oh, well, you know, you could do that if you're using Emacs. Yeah, you just create a simple Emacs-less function that would just do those things automatically. So I was frustrated because i didn't want to learn emacs but then i was like damn it it might actually be useful but i still had that past trauma about emacs so i wasn't ready but christine started thinking about it a little bit well so we've already done a whole episode on the digital humanities classes we did and Mm -hmm. why we chose dr racket and everything but the impetus for the digital humanities courses that the the seed that actually led to it was actually me thinking this through and us being in the car me saying you know you could pick up on these tools and actually you could use racket has this programming editor called dr racket and it has this editor called this formatting language called scribble you could use those to actually author documents and then you wouldn't have to learn emacs and i wouldn't have to learn LaTeX or something like that either so you can go back and we'll link in the show notes to our episode about the digital humanities workshops and stuff like that. But we did this whole series of workshops to teach programming to people using Racket and Scribble and Dr. Racket. And then we also have a whole other episode on writing my dissertation in Dr. Racket. But I did that because that was, at that point, the text editor that I knew. I wasn't going to write my entire dissertation in gedit because that didn't have much functionality for just writing text. But Dr. Racket and Scribble had a lot more than I could do with, say, LibreOffice. And it opened you up to other programmer tools. And so at that point, I started writing my dissertation in Dr. Racket. But we realized 
partway through that while Dr. Racket is great for writing Racket code and even pretty great for writing Scribble, it had its limitations that were somewhat difficult for us to get past. Right. So basically, there are all sorts of other things you might want to edit, right? And you were just kind of like hit a stumbling block, like, well, I don't really have a way to do that. I could open gedit, etc. You were having trouble with some other things that look like it might help you if you had Emacs. Like you Mm -hmm. saw, oh, I, I, I seem to be having less of a difficult interface for dealing with Git, which we can talk about later yeah. within my editor than you were having with using the command line interface, which is notoriously difficult with Git. Yeah. But at that point, I was probably more years than I want to say into writing my dissertation and more years than I wanted to say from finishing my dissertation. So in the middle of that process, I was too overwhelmed with actually writing the dissertation to switch text editors and learn an entirely new thing. So at that point, we had committed to Dr. Racket for that, and we stuck with it. So you started learning Emacs. After uh, I finished af- my dissertation. After you finished your dissertation, basically because, especially partly when we started doing more serious things with Foss and Craft Studios and this podcast and stuff, and you also wanted to use org mode, right? Mm-hmm. Which we have not described what that is yet, but we will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you had felt motivated to learn Emacs finally. And what was the learning experience for you like? So there is a pretty steep learning curve to learning Emacs. And when I did it, I wasn't, I I mean, I had finished my dissertation and was applying for jobs, but I didn't have a job. So I was able to devote a decent amount of time to that learning curve. But was it as scary as you thought it was going to be to learn it? The answer is yes and no. Okay. And the yes is because... You basically have to learn a whole new set of keyboard shortcuts. That's the main thing, right? That's, it's the, main, that's the main difficulty for usability for a beginner, in my opinion. And they also have different names for things, like kill and yank instead of copy and paste. Yeah, and that's because Emacs has existed for a very long time. And it had keyboard shortcuts before the standard keyboard shortcuts were standardized. And it, like, innovated in the world of cut and paste in ways that many people have never seen, actually. Actually, the before cut and paste became a common thing, Emacs already had more advanced copy and paste than exists pretty much anywhere else. Which, I mean, is great, but it's got a pretty steep learning curve to figuring that out. Mm-hmm. The no is partially because of the way that I had seen Emacs on your computer versus the way that Emacs booted up on my computer as a fresh Emacs. Because Christine has Emacs very highly customized to her machine and her needs. So that's an up and a down. Like the more you use Emacs and customize it, the more it kind of like fits to your needs and the kind of the curve of your body. But the more overwhelming it can be for somebody else to see it and maybe for them to sit down and try to pick it up whatever you've done so out of the box emacs was not as scary as christine's overclocked emacs that runs her entire life so that was less difficult to get used to than i anticipated so i just i guess i have to ask now you have started to learn emacs and if you started over, would you 
have started with Emacs instead of taking this kind of winding route to end up there? No. And I know that you and I disagree on this. And well, we have you can talk experiences. You can talk about your experience if you want. But in my opinion, learning Python was hard enough on its own. In my experience and the way that I learn, scaling up the editor I was using along with the skills that I was learning fit for me. So you don't teach someone how to bike on a BMX. You teach them how to bike on something with training wheels. Yeah, so you think that it makes sense for you to have ended an Emacs either way. Like, either yeah. way you would have wanted to end it in Emacs, and you maybe would have taken less time to make the switch over to it. Yeah, so if I, you know, as an omniscient narrator, could go back and talk to myself and, you know, change the course, knowing what I know now, I would not have started me off with Emacs when I was first learning Python. And I wouldn't have even done the digital humanities workshops using Emacs because those workshops were way too short to teach someone Emacs and then how to do any programming. But I probably would have sat myself down when I was making the decision to use a text editor to write my dissertation and said, look, you're going to be working on this for way more years than you expect to be working on it. And this is a very large project. And... Choosing Dr. Racket is choosing the tool that you know now and know how to use now, but it's not the right tool. It's kind for, of limiting you. And it's going to it's gonna limit you eventually. And to be fair, we didn't really know how much it would limit us when we started because we were like, well, we can use mm. Scribble. Maybe you knew. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, you, you said you and I have different experiences here, right? So... I, the first programming I ever did was on a DOS computer using QBasic, right? Which is like this integrated editor for DOS, Microsoft's QBasic. And I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I wrote some small programs, right? And I didn't really have access to anything that helped me learn very well. And I installed GNU Linux on my computer and I was trying desperately to learn how to do programming in some languages. And I kept struggling somebody may give me the bad advice of learning c as your first language don't give people that advice please um <laughs> well and, it's probably outdated advice at this point anyways yeah i mean don't tell people to use rust as their first language either to be honest but um the so i i started i actually was really kind of struggling to learn programming and as i've said before on the podcast i was an interdisciplinary humanities major but i was using gnu linux full-time and you, especially back then, you had to edit a ton of stuff. And I just kept switching between all these editors that I thought weren't very good. And I said to a friend, like, I really ought to learn a good editor. What editor should I learn? And they said, learn Emacs, because you'll find out that it has everything that you could possibly want anyway. And just do that. And I'm like, okay. So I picked up Emacs. And then I'm like, okay, well... It's nearing the end of my semester, and I guess if I'm going to learn this thing, I should really learn it. But can I write papers in this? And people said, yes, use LaTeX, which is, of course, a terrible idea. But I ordered a copy of, like, the like the smaller of the LaTeX manuals, like the, the shorter one. And I installed that on my computer. Andy Max, I said, I guess this is what I'm doing. And I wrote my term papers burning the midnight oil, learning Emacs and LaTeX at the same time. And it was a terrible idea, but it was highly immersive to the point where I ended up really kind of picking it up. So like 
you can kind of wade into the shallow end and then go in the deep end, or you can sometimes just jump into the deep end. But side note as a parallel, this whole experience of you when we were in college writing your papers using LaTeX and Emacs, that is one of the reasons it took me so long to get a Linux desktop on my computer as well, because I'm like, well, I can't write my papers using LaTeX. Sure. Yeah, I get that. So like if I had seen LibreOffice, then... I'm yeah. sure you saw LibreOffice on my computer at some point. I'm sure I must have been smart When about did it. you use LibreOffice? I used OpenOffice sometimes. I used <laughs> OpenOffice before I used Emacs. Before I wasn't using Emacs when we first met. Um, hmm. I didn't. I didn't start using it until later in that year. Hmm. Yeah. So the things you don't know about me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that you used to use a text I, editor. I used a word processor sorry, a word when processor. we first met. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. For like a couple months. I was using it way before then, though. But anyway, I, <laughs> but I think I was using like that terrible. Well, I was using the predecessor. I was using Abbey Word before that. Ugh, Abbey Word was pretty bad. Um, well, you know what? Actually, it was pretty good. I am going way on a tangent. Um, the point was, I did not always use Emacs, um, and I'm sure it did make things look more uh, intimidating. But there, here's another thing. I learned to program partly by customizing Emacs. I said that Emacs is a list machine. The way you extend Emacs is actually by changing the way Emacs works under the hood, which probably also makes it sound very intimidating. And I'm Morgan's nodding her head. You're making it sound intimidating again. You're not making the case for just jump straight into Emacs. It's simple. But wait, let me put it this way. That another version of the digital humanities classes that we could do in the future is just have people install Emacs and have them learn to program by we get they instead of doing uh, instead of doing racket lisp and scribble it could be Emacs lisp to extend their editor and then um and then uh and then org mode yeah right to write their papers so, so and like, I mean this is this is a possible route that we're going to take in the future and if I had a semester long class then I would probably do that right Anyway, the, the the point the point that I'm making is it's difficult. So you and I are both different people and we take different paths to things. But also you took a certain path and I took a certain path. And it's difficult to actually see what other paths would be like having not taken them. Yeah. So, all right. Having gone through that series of expositions, I will now ask you to explain to the audience what types of things you do use Emacs for today. So keep in mind that I've only been using Emacs for probably, what, like... About six months, Five or maybe? six months, yeah. So I've only been... I haven't been using it for that long. And not every day. And quite. not every day. So it's not... I'm not running my entire life off of Emacs yet. Someday. <laughs> Christine hopes someday I will. At this point, the main thing I'm using is org mode, which is the organizational system within Emacs. And that has been extremely helpful. Ormode is great. Ormode is like there isn't anything better, I think, for like organizing project plans and your life and mm-hmm. notes and everything. Yeah, and we use that for quite a few things. So I mentioned that like at the point that I was just starting to pick up Emacs, my main thing that I was doing was looking for jobs. So I have a jobs.org file that lists in this tree format all of the jobs that I'm applying for, the things I have to do to apply, the deadlines, stuff like that. And then we customized it so that it 
switches from to do to waiting and waiting means that I've submitted it and I'm waiting to hear back. And then if I find out whether or not I have the job definitively, I can switch it again and it switches to done. One of the nice things about org mode is like Emacs, it's incredibly customizable and you can actually just like Emacs use it in a very simple way or you can scale it up to something really complicated. Mm-hmm. And you've actually been doing that, right? You mm-hmm. started with a very simple version of org mode and you've been adding features that you've been using over time, yep. right? Exactly. And I've also been using org mode to edit and update our websites. So both mlemmer.org and fossincrafts.org. And we've been using it a lot for Fossincraft Studio. So we use org mode to define a lot of tasks for Fossincraft Studios, including the show notes, all of the outlines when we have them, tasks that still need to be done. And then along with that, since I'm working on my computer and Christine is working on her computer, we use Maggot, which is the Git interface that's built into Emacs. It's not built in. You do have to install it, but it is a... That you can build into Emacs. That's right. You can. So here's a funny thing. You found, like many people, Git command line interface to be incredibly stressful and intimidating i hated it and also you found emacs to be intimidating but not quite as stressful as as you thought it was going to be but still intimidating Mm -hmm. so obviously emacs plus git is going to be way more stressful right no it is definitely less stressful to commit things to git using maggot than using separately the command line and part of that is because most of the things I'm committing to Git aren't code. I do not write code on a regular basis at this point in my life. So if you're not writing code, then you probably don't have a terminal open already. You may not remember to commit. And we discussed in the episode about writing my dissertation using Scribble that we had to actually just set it up to auto commit because I would forget to continuously upload changes to Git. So if I'm writing a document in org mode or, you know, Emacs more generally, it's a lot easier to remember to commit to Git since Maggot is built into the program I'm already running. And it also has a clearer workflow, like staging and then committing is like something that like makes sense even visually in the program. For the most part. I still, the thing I mostly get tripped up with with Maggot is when we're trying to use Git Annex and I'm trying to commit the audio files. I actually set it up so that you no longer need to, you can just stage it the same way now and it automatically chooses normal Git or Git Annex. But I set this up like a couple of episodes ago and I keep forgetting. I think. Keep forgetting to tell me? I think I told you, but it, it hasn't sunk in yet. Let's say that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. my fault. Uh, it's both of our faults, probably. <laughs> the last thing that I'm currently using Emacs for, well, there's probably a couple of other small things that I'm using, but the last big thing I'm using Emacs for is uh, I'm currently writing a paper actually about using programming tools and environments for writing academic works. Basically, a article about writing my dissertation in Scribble, and I'm writing that article in emacs and then recursively i will write a section of that article about switching to emacs after i finished my dissertation Mm -hmm. 
So those are the, what, like five things that I use Emacs for. How about you, Christine? What do you use Emacs for? So obviously I use Emacs for programming in pretty much every programming language that I use. And there's almost always a good Emacs programming environment, no matter what language you want to work with. Especially it's really good for if you're doing programming that's in Lisp, which like Emacs is kind of unparalleled and kind of you won't have a better experience than programming with Lisp plus Emacs, I think. It's just a very, very nice workflow. I also read a lot of manuals in it. You can read PDFs in Emacs and you can also read info manuals or like a a manual format that like I think only Emacs people really like. But they're pretty great if you learn to read manuals in Emacs. And so can let's. I, can I ask you a question about reading PDFs in Emacs since I didn't know that this was possible? Yeah. Can you annotate the PDFs in Emacs? Or would that be more like you have a separate Emacs buffer open where you can take notes? I forget. There might. I think there. I saw something about somebody having a tool where you can annotate them. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember if it comes in by default, but that's absolutely the type of thing that you could script into Emacs regardless, right? So this Emacs is something is I should look into further. It's completely programmable to build that kind of thing if you wanted to. Like, it doesn't look as nice as events, but it, mm-hmm. it does work. You can even do a plain text search across the document. Obviously, we've talked about org mode. We haven't really described completely what org mode is cleanly. It is a project planning and outlining tool, a document authoring tool, like all sorts of things, but it's mostly you can think of it as a quote unquote outliner if you know what that is. So you can use it for all sorts of things from document authoring to life planning to project planning to everything. And I use org mode all the time. Um, I find it's the nicest way to write documents. I also use Emacs for Git and revision control, as you've said. Emacs comes with Tetris, Meta X Tetris, and then hit enter which is also Alt-X Tetris if you're opening Emacs for the first time. And then uh, that's great. That's actually, I've said on a previous episode, that's where I got my first patch into. And yeah. Oh, right. And then there's also that interesting feature in there that's the Meta-X Doctor, right? Uh, I don't recommend visiting the Emacs Doctor if you need something resembling therapy. It's a great way to feel like you need more therapy. It's funny, though. So I also use it for accounting. Um, I actually, when I was in college, picking up Emacs and learning about Ledger is how I learned about accounting and how it works and stuff like that. And I use it with BeanCount now. has great integration. I use it with email, with chat, make ASCIIart in it. I do a little bunch of command line stuff in it. It's a great way to gateway the list. You can configure it to pretty much do everything. I've even written my own diet tracker in it. And you can even do collaborative editing in Emacs with crdt.el. So basically, you can use Emacs for, like, everything. And if you can't currently do an Emacs, you can extend Emacs to do it. And oh, if... you know what you don't have on there? The schedule. Oh, yeah. So that's using org mode. Org mode's agenda. Basically, if there's something that Christine needs to do and it somehow doesn't end up on the org mode agenda, then it probably doesn't get done on time. Or if it's in our check-ins. Or if it's in our check-ins, yeah. Yeah, which we kind of synchronize. I also wrote that wire world thing I showed off at Hack and Crafts recently. Oh, yeah. It's a cellular automata where you make circuits. Um, I made mine so that you can make circuits in ASCII art. You can even make a computer inside of your computer, inside of your text editor. That is definitely making Emacs seem very intimidating. It's really wire world that's intimidating there, but it shouldn't be intimidating. Wire world's very easy to learn and you should learn it. You can do an infinite number of things with Emacs. Yeah. So. so you can see how this list of things, all of which like kind of just slowly trickled out as information over the years of 
being with Christine, you can see how this very powerful program would seem very intimidating. Right. So, I should not be rambling anymore about how I use Emacs or the things you can do. It's pretty much everything. So, let's talk instead about what we like and dislike about Emacs. Why don't you go first as a person freshest to Emacs? So, I like that I can do almost anything in Emacs. I dislike that I have to learn how to make it do anything I want. Like, it's not as intuitive as a lot of programs that have, like, a graphic user interface. So it's the learning curve that I dislike, but I like the functionality of it. The Probably the biggest dislike I have is the keyboard shortcuts, which, as we already mentioned, are not standard to the standard ones of today. So I have like a cheat sheet. I also have a mug that's got a cheat sheet for Emacs commands printed on it. And I still end up sometimes having to just message Chris and say, hey, how do I do this thing Mm -hmm. in Emacs? I know you've shown me three times before, but... So what I like about Emacs is that I can do pretty much everything in it. It is a great environment to explore with ideas it's really comfortable for me because i've configured my thing to do whatever i want i like that it has opened me to so many interesting paths in my life i really love using emacs it's great i i feel really comfortable in it what i don't like is that i don't like that it's a program that i use that intimidates people it is kind of fun to like amaze them but it's not fun to intimidate people Right, I don't want people to be intimidated, and uh, I don't love that the keyboard shortcuts are just so unfamiliar relative to everything else that people use. And and there is maybe some hopeful directions that can help with that. But the the keyboard shortcuts that in Emacs's defense, it gets this it gets this harsh criticism of Emacs's overly reliant on keyboard shortcuts, and Emacs does use lots and lots of key commands. Basically about as much or as little as you want, but actually kind of at least a minimum of little. So the thing about Emacs, though, is that it means that you can really do a lot, like a lot of things are right at hand. What I also really like about Emacs is that Emacs is self-describing. So you can use the help tools in Emacs to explain how anything inside of Emacs works and actually jump straight to the code, change the code even if you want, and change the way Emacs works from within Emacs, like, no difficulty. It's super easy, even for really fairly core pieces of Emacs. Mm-hmm. You know, most things in Emacs, you can do that. And that's really cool. Can so, I reply to one thing that you said? It yeah. was a while ago at this point. But uh, you said that you didn't like that Emacs was intimidating to people. And part of part of that you, in your own personal behavior, are trying to amend in that So you've been teaching me Emacs and you've been also teaching our friend how to do Emacs as well. And you've started opening up a fresh Emacs. With none of my configurations. With none of the custom configurations in it when teaching us so that it isn't as intimidating to the newcomers because it doesn't have, you know, all of these custom specialized things that make you seem like a wizard that no one else can do yeah yeah let me make another complaint about emacs i hate the default emacs theme it's so 
ugly. It's so ugly. And so like the first experience that people have with Emacs is opening up Emacs and they have this really ugly theme. And Emacs can look so pretty and I wish it started with a really pretty theme. So that's actually something that kind of bothers me. Um, it's it's kind of not that important, I guess, but it bugs me. Well, one of the things I like about Emacs is that there are so many themes you can change it to, including just like you can totally customize your theme. So I get migraines if I am reading white text on black backgrounds. And really like, high contrast. Yeah, really high contrast or light text on dark backgrounds or something like that. So a lot of people's preferred themes are not the same as mine, but I can do something that doesn't hurt my head. And you can change your theme if we're sitting at your computer and we're recording a podcast episode or something like yeah. that where we both need to look at your emacs you can change it so if that i have my dark theme on at the moment i can switch it to my light theme yeah so that it doesn't hurt my head to look at it and it's pretty trivial to do that yeah so i think as in terms of other things i dislike i love that it's written in a lisp i love that it's written in a lisp i think that's great unshockingly to anybody listening to this show probably at this point but the list that Emacs has, Emacs Lisp, is like not really that good. It's gotten better, and if this term means nothing to you, then that's fine. Uh, it now has lexical scope support. It used to be only dynamic scope. I guess if you don't know what the heck that is, then you probably don't care about that. But, you know, if you are enough of a nerd, you probably do care about it. So the uh, of enough of a certain kind of nerd. I don't want a nerd gatekeep here. All sorts of people can be nerds. Also, uh, we absolutely do not use nerd as a derogatory term on no. this podcast because yeah. we're all nerds. No, no, no. By me saying nerd gatekeeping, I don't mean nerds are gatekeeping. I mean gatekeeping other people from believing they can be nerds. We, we want everybody to feel that they can be a nerd. So how can you learn to be an Emacs nerd like us? Right. So, well, one thing you could do is you can open it up and Emacs comes with a tutorial. You can click on the tutorial and start going through that. And then there's also a manual that's linked from the main page. And also, you know, on the help menu bar, you can start reading that manual. And the manual is pretty dense, but it's pretty great. Learning to use Emacs's help system, though, is very important because Emacs has a powerful help system that can tell you how pretty much anything in it works, where all the keys are, everything. And I will admit that my ability to read the manual has, like, it could be better. I could be doing better at... It's not your ability to read the manual. It's it's, it's your my, reading the manual. It's my actually reading the manual. And part of that is because, so initially... We were going through the Emacs tutorial. Initially, it was me and Christine going through it, and then we were going through it with our friend as well. And I got to the point in my ability to use Emacs where I was able to just do the stuff that I needed to do on a daily basis, and I got comfortable doing that. And then the stuff that I didn't need to do on a daily basis, either I forgot that it existed and didn't know how to do it, or Christine would be like, oh, well, just do it. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And then Christine would tell me the shortcut Yeah, that so, I needed to know. So, so I think we need to get you more in the habit of using Emacs' help system, basically. Partially the reason that I 
am not good at reading the manual when I need to do something outside of my normal workflow is because that's usually because we're in the middle of some deadline trying to finish something and you need me to do something that I don't normally do. And in that scenario, it's quicker for you to just tell me. So I think it needs more experimentation of me doing it on my own when I'm not in a crunch mode. See, this, this, sometimes when that happens, it may be that being under deadlines has really helped me learn Emacs because that's when I procrastinate by extending my Emacs and learning a new tool. I'm like, I really need to get this done. Obviously, therefore, I need to learn this tool that's going to take me 10 minutes to learn to save me 30 seconds. Yeah. Sounds efficient. Well, it it will, in the long run, it is efficient. It will be eventually. But, but in not in the moment, short period. Yeah. yeah. Procrastivity, For... though. Yeah. So, so what, what do you do in the meanwhile, though? Because you've got, you've got a way of looking up some of this stuff that's not just looking at Emacs's tutorial yeah. information. So when I was going through the initial tutorial, I made myself a cheat sheet of the commands that I'm going to need regularly. And I made that in Emacs... In org mode. In org mode. But one thing that can be tricky about that, especially because you're going through it initially, is that when it's a small cheat sheet at the beginning and it can all fit visibly in one buffer, then it's fine. But as you extend it and you add more to it, say you forgot how to do the search function in Emacs, and you've got a fairly decently long cheat sheet at this point, and you don't know how to search within it because you're trying to search for the search function. And so if you don't know how to navigate Emacs that well without your cheat sheet, then having your cheat sheet just in Emacs might not be the most efficient thing. It's a bootstrapping problem. Yeah, and but... Th- I think this wouldn't be as much of a problem if you were using Emacs all the time every day, but the problem is that you keep picking it up and dropping it because you've got you only need to use it intermittently. Yeah. There's a pretty simple solution to that, though, and that is that you can export from org mode to lots of different formats. So you could export that to a PDF, or you could export it to an ODD. You can export it to something that you do know how to use the interface of. You can print it on paper. Yeah, you can print it on paper. You can have a mug that's got Emacs commands on it. Like, there's lots of things that you can do, but... Making your own cheat sheet instead of just using one that already exists is something that I would recommend for learning just about any skill, just because the act of making it and customizing it to what you need is helpful, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree with that. And another helpful thing is to watch some videos, right? Like there's the Emacs Conf is really great. You really enjoyed that uh, presentation that we saw on an academic using emacs and org mode and her workflow right Which we will post in the show notes even though we don't remember her name yeah. while we're recording this in satchua's videos you really enjoyed right yeah Sa- she breaks things down really Sacha- manageably satchua is an incredibly incredibly energizing person to like listen to the sheer amount of enthusiasm that she brings to the emacs community I really recommend watching and reading her stuff. And she does these interviews with people and writes all these nice blog posts. And like, it's, it's really just great that the Emacs community has somebody who does such an incredible job of, I think, getting people really kind of energized and riled up. Yeah. And then also there's some nice videos with Emacs rocks, which are just like very short, 
like just a couple of minutes long each episodes of like cool things you can do on top of emacs and those are fun to watch so another thing that i would really recommend doing is to just play around doing some low stakes things in emacs i mentioned that when i was first learning scribble and one of the reasons that i was interested in learning a text editor instead of a word processor was because I was writing fan fiction and I wanted something that could export to multiple formats. So that's something that's fun and extensible and you can customize it to the extent that you want it to. And if you mess up your fan fiction in Emacs, like if you mess up your Emacs formatting for it, then it's not like the end of the world. Or do the opposite. And do something where you absolutely need to do the thing and get it done and start using Emacs and say, well, just goddammit, I'm going to use Emacs for this project and force yourself through it and dive into that deep end and pick it up and run with it. And that's what I did, which is, you know, two different ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. of how to do these things. But that's actually two different, very useful ends of the spectrum approaches in general to taking on projects. And I usually do that type of thing with low stakes projects, but every now and then... I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this difficult thing using this tool I probably shouldn't be using at the moment. And then I learn something useful and force myself through it. Yeah. Which might not be good advice sometimes when it comes to meeting your deadlines, but it's really good as in terms of picking up new skills. Well, and I think we both can agree that, you know, once you either jump in the deep end or do some low stakes things, then... Progressing to doing higher stakes things in Emacs is, you know, pretty simple and it can be really powerful for those things. Yep. So finally, if you are listening to this entire episode and you made it to this point and you are a Vire Vim user and you... And you're not just sitting there raging. Well, you you probably are if you've been listening to this by this point, I'm guessing. Or maybe? I don't know. There, You should try SpaceMax. So SpaceMax is basically emacs configured for vi and vim people and most of the people i know who have picked up space max have like stuck with it because there's a lot of powerful tools in emacs that they can use and in my opinion the extension environment in emacs is a lot better but it's org mode and maggot that are really the things that tend to make people stick around with emacs i feel like we should also acknowledge that there's a good chance that there is a combination of selection bias and sample bias that impact this anecdotal evidence i'm of sure most people you know who i'm sure but yeah i i space max has definitely grown a lot in popularity over the last decade and i think there's a good reason for that and what i would like to see is more work done on mouse max so mouse max or something like it mouse max is a project to make emacs actually behave more like kind of a traditional IDE, like Visual Studio or something like that, and kind of be configured to that. So both SpaceMax and MouseMax, they all have a bunch of configuration that you can configure Emacs yourself to look that way. But the the benefit is that they are out of the box, ship a configuration of Emacs that are tailored to that kind of perspective. So I would actually really love to see more work happen to have a version of Emacs that matches what most people who are beginners, their expectations. But I mean, part of the problem is that once people can end up crossing the threshold of having been in Emacs long enough, they usually aren't motivated to do that anymore. They just buy into Emacs' assumptions. 
they no longer bother. Also, you're talking about people who are beginners and their expectations, and a lot of people who are beginners to a text editor or programming environment don't have expectations. Well, but they probably have expectations from things like their word processor and other things on the computer. And let's be honest, if you pick up Visual Studio Code, that has a much closer mapping to conventional IDE things than Emacs which calls copying and pasting, killing and yanking. That's true. Very true. And I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's this episode. I overcame my fear of Emacs, and I'm now using it on a regular basis, if not a daily basis. And you now admit that it's the best thing, and you should have used it all along. Just kidding. Now Morgan's going to not want to use Emacs, because I'm trolling Morgan. I'm sorry. The best way to get me to not do something is to tell me that I should do it. Well, let me try to backpedal on that dramatically quickly by the end of this episode, so we don't have a follow-up episode where Morgan says, And how I learned to no longer use Emacs, thanks to Christine being a jerk. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Christine Lemmerweber. The intro music is composed by Christine Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show. The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waved into the public domain under CC0 1.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information. You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts at octodon.social, on Twitter as at Foss and Crafts, or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org. We also have a chat room. Join our community on hash Foss and Crafts on irc.libera.chat. If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash foss and crafts. That's it for this week. Until next time, stay free. And stay crafty. Um, obviously, I'm not doing a great job right now, but um, you can also it's, even... This is a podcast. They can't see you. It's true. Yeah, also a... Um, and also maybe edit that part out. Um, that might be the blooper. Maybe.